Hey guys, this week in our study of Jonah, we're going to look at some other passages around Scripture where God shows His judgment and His mercy. Uh, when we're studying Jonah, we see God's mercy displayed throughout the book, and so I wanted us to look at some other places, and then at the end of the sermon, we'll come back to Jonah. I hope you enjoy. There are some very weird places in Scripture where God chooses to show mercy, when it seems like He would just judge people, where He would just say, nope, that's it, I've had enough. And there are times when He does that. I mean, if you look at one story that has them both, okay, if you go to Noah, all right, Genesis chapter 6, and you see every intention and thought in the heart of man was wicked continuously. Every thought was wicked, and God chose to judge the earth, and he chose to judge it harshly. He flooded the earth, and we see that in Genesis chapter 6, and we see his judgment, and yet he shows mercy by sparing Noah and his family. He didn't wipe out man completely. He restrained his judgment to the point of allowing Moses and his family to live. As we travel throughout the pages of the Bible, we see over and over again these acts of mercy, whether it's people who, in Noah's case, it seems like Noah loved the Lord, and that's why God showed mercy with Noah. But then you have Abraham in chapter 12 in, in, of Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, God tells him to go to this land that he would show him. He was to leave his family and everybody and to go. And Abraham does it. And so there's this wonderful act of faith by Abraham at the beginning of the chapter. And then you keep reading, and it doesn't take you long to say, what were you thinking, Abraham? He was still being called Abram at that time, but I'm going to call him Abraham today. What happens is, is that Abraham and his wife Sarah go to Egypt, and Abraham is worried that Pharaoh might kill him if he finds out that Sarah is his wife because Sarah is beautiful and maybe Pharaoh wants Sarah as his wife, so he would kill Abraham to have her as his wife. Abraham, seemingly out of fear, tells Sarah to lie about her identity. Maybe not a lie. It's a stretch of the truth for sure. It's omitting some very key things like she's married to Abraham. But he tells her to tell Pharaoh that, that she is Abraham's sister rather than letting him know the full truth, which is that she's Abraham's wife. And in that, when you read that, your logic tells you, oh, Abraham's in trouble. God's about to come to Abraham and straighten him out. But that's actually not what happens if you read Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Pharaoh, and he judges Pharaoh for something that Pharaoh doesn't even know he's doing. And then Pharaoh comes to Abraham and says, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you lie to me? Why did you do this? And Abraham tells him, you know, I, I was scared. I thought you might kill me. And anyway, God shows mercy even to Pharaoh by causing Pharaoh to get sick and to, for some things to happen in his household. The reason he shows mercy is, is God could have judged him even more harshly, but he showed mercy. But the the true person that God is showing mercy to is who? To Abraham. Because he could have judged him, and yet he doesn't. And so we see these 
strange things throughout Scripture. And, and we get to Exodus, right? And we have Moses, and Moses is leading the people out of Egypt. And, and we see that God brings these plagues. The plagues were pretty harsh. If you read Exodus, the plagues were pretty intense and pretty harsh, and yet they were merciful. God was warning the people. He was showing them, you need to let my people go. And they progressively got to a point where the last plague was the harshest of them all. And yet, God could have taken all of the Egyptians, and he only took the firstborn. And so God shows mercy in these strange ways. And then, of course, you know the story, or if you don't know the story, Moses and the Israelites are free to go, and they go like victors with, with spoils. They have gold. They have other things that the, Israel, the Egyptians have given them for their journey and their travels. And they go out, and of course, Pharaoh changes his mind, but God parts the sea and lets the Israelites through, and he defeats Pharaoh and his army by closing the sea. We get to the mountain, as we've talked about since I've been here in a couple of different sermons. He gets to the mountain. There, Moses is talking to the Lord. God tells Moses, go get the people. Tell them to draw near. Not, don't come up on the mountain, but come up to the foot of the mountain. I've got something to tell them. And so they come up, and, and God speaks the Ten Commandments to them. And it says that God wanted them to draw nearer, but they wouldn't said Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was while the people stood far off. And while Moses is up on the mountain and the people are standing scared and far off, Moses is up there for a long time. And while he's up there, the people begin to get restless. And even though they just saw these miracles, these plagues in Egypt, and even though they just saw the Red Sea parted, and even though they just heard the voice of God coming from the mountain, and they saw the the flashes of lightning, and they heard the thunder. Even though they saw these things, they experienced these things, they get restless. They begin to ask Aaron, they ask Aaron if he would create for them a God to worship. And so Aaron asks for their earrings and their gold, and he forms this golden calf. And Aaron holds up the calf, and he says, Here are, O Israel, are, are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Of course, that's ridiculous. Of course, when you read that for the first time, you think, oh, snap, it's about to go down, okay? I'm, I'm sure that that's exactly how you articulated it in your mind also. The first time John Michael heard that story, he probably doesn't remember this because he was so young, but the first time he heard that story, Aaron held up the, the gods and said, here, O Israel, your gods who brought you out of Egypt. And John Michael jumped off the couch and he said, no, they're not. Because he was jealous for God, right? We should be jealous for God. And, of course, that's ridiculous. How could they be worshiping something that they just created and say that this is what delivered them from Egypt when it was created afterwards and it was just an inanimate golden object? God, who is with Moses on the mountain, says to Moses, basically go down and prepare these people to be slaughtered because I'm about to bring my vengeance because they are worshiping this other God, Moses uh, intercedes for the people. What 
don't do this. For your glory, for your name's sake, don't do this. What would the people think? You just brought us out of Egypt just to kill us? And he begins to talk to God, to pray, and he begins to intercede on behalf of the Israelites. And he does this, and this is incredible. I really encourage you, if you haven't read it or it's been a while, to go back and read Exodus 32 and 33. And, and so Moses is, is saying these things, and he's interceding, and God basically says, okay, but go tell them to get ready. I'm coming down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them what their judgment is. Uh, I won't kill them and start over with you, Moses, but I'm going to judge them. And so Moses goes down, and he tells the people, you better begin to cry out to God because he is coming to judge you. Just as he judged the, Israel, the Egyptians, he's coming to judge you. And the people begin to weep and mourn, um, and, and Moses again goes and intercedes on their behalf. And God tells them, uh, eventually God tells them, I'm going to send you to the promised land. You can have the gift, you can have the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses is like, well, what good is that? The promised land isn't what's special. You are what's special. And so in this story, in what's going on here, God over and over and over again relents from his anger and chooses to show mercy, even though the people didn't deserve it. And if, if you look with me, and this will be on the screen, but in Exodus 33, Exodus 33, verse 19, there's this verse where God has agreed that he would not destroy the people, that he was going to allow Moses to continue to lead them to the promised land, which is amazing, but Moses, he wants even more of God, even more intimacy in that relationship. And so he asked God, he says, will you show me your glory? And so God says, yes, stand in this cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over you, and you can see a little bit of my glory, but not all of it. And then we get to verse 19. Uh, verse 18, please show me your glory, verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Did Jonah deserve mercy? No. That's what makes it mercy. But God is sovereign. And if he wants to show grace to us, that's his prerogative. He's God. And if he wants to show mercy to us, then he can show mercy. And that's what this verse says. And I'll just say this. You are sitting inside this building in a free country where we are still able to proclaim the gospel without fear of repercussions. God has shown mercy on you. He has shown grace to you. Because there are many places right now where if I tried to publicly proclaim the gospel, I would be murdered. And if you came just to hear it, you would experience the same fate. We need to recognize that God has been gracious to us, that God has been merciful to us. Why? We were born here with the ability to hear the gospel 
And yet there are people, babies, being born all over the world right now who don't have that same privilege. Can I understand that? No. I can't understand it. it it's, it's something that if you are philosophical at all, you are going to struggle with. How is this fair? And I don't know how it's fair. But here's what I do know. I trust God. And I trust that he is good. And I trust that when he shows grace and when he shows mercy, he knows what he's doing. And whatever, however all this turns out in the end, I trust him. And I trust him that it will be fair. My brain might not be able to comprehend it right now. I can't see it from all angles. But it's fair. I believe that. Because I believe God is fair. And I believe God is good. And and in some senses, from our understanding, I might not even should be using the word fair because that's almost, we bring our judgment into it and we think about what's fair according to us. But God is going to do what's right and he's going to do what's best. I truly believe that. That's what we see in scripture. And so let's look at this case of Jonah being swallowed by this great fish. Why did God bring the storm? Why did he bring the judgment? Why did he show his mercy? I don't know. But here's what I know. It was good for the sailors. It was good for Jonah. Even though he had to spend three days inside of a fish, we will see as we continue reading this that it is good. And, spoiler alert, it was good for the Ninevites. Because if God would not have brought this judgment and yet shown his mercy and spared Jonah, then an entire city, as the Bible calls it, a great city, would not have experienced the mercy of God either. The forgiveness of God, they would not have repented, they would not have turned to God, and we would have had missed out on all of that if God just chose just to judge Jonah with a storm, the sailors throw him overboard, the end. Did Jonah deserve Salvation? No. But God brought it. Do we deserve salvation? No. But God offers it. The last passage I want us to look at is in Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Jesus has just talked about how you can tell a tree by its fruit in the previous paragraph. And we're seeing the fruit of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, teachers, scribes uh, here. And they want to see a sign. And Jesus gives a very stern response to people who want to see a sign. Um, And basically what they're doing is they don't want to have faith. They don't want to believe. They want proof. Show us. And in fact, this is plenty into Jesus' ministry where they have seen sign after sign after sign after sign, and yet they still don't believe, and so they're wanting another sign. Verse 39, Jesus says this, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights 
in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I don't know why God chose to show mercy, except that he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. But he showed mercy. He showed it to the sailors. He showed it to Jonah. He showed it to Nineveh, and he shows it to us. And the sign of Jonah, that this whole prophetic book of Jonah points to, is something even beyond the forgiveness of Nineveh. It's the ability for all of us to be forgiven because Christ made it possible on the cross. Because Christ spent three days in the tomb. Because Christ was victorious over death and he raised from that grave. Just as we will see in future sermons, we will see Jonah being spared from his grave. And so, as we go back and we look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and we see, and the Lord appointed a great fish. Why did he appoint this fish? Because he's God, and it was... He's sovereign, and he wanted to do it, and he did it. That's the ultimate reason. But what are the results of this great fish? It spared Jonah. It gave Nineveh an opportunity at repentance. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Why not just 30 seconds? That would be enough for me. Why three days and three nights? I don't know the complete answer to that except to say that it's looking forward to Jesus. Three days and three nights. Three has significance within the Jewish culture. And he wasn't there for 72 hours. This, just as Jesus died on a Friday afternoon, was put in the tomb before sunset, and spent all day Saturday, and then arose early Sunday. Um, he, he, we don't believe that Jonah was in there for 72 hours, but he was in there for a long time. And why? And when I was a kid and I would read Jonah, like the picture that came to my mind, and I think this was even in a children's Bible I had, was almost like Geppetto with a lamp and a desk. This was not that. He was in the digestive system of a fish. How many of you have ever gutted a fish? How many of you regret that? Okay. He was in there. This is a strange way to show mercy, but it gets Jonah's attention. And right now in your life and in my life, there might be some insane things happening. There might be some things happening that we do not understand, and we don't understand why in the world would God allow this. And it might be this very thing that we despise and hate and can't understand that God is choosing to use to bring mercy to us. 
the very thing that we're trying to escape, as I'm sure Jonah struggled in the belly of the fish to do so, might be an act of mercy, not just for our good, but for the good of a lot of people around us. Many of us sitting in here right now can think of a time in our life where something happened that was not pleasant, and yet it changed us for the better. Yet God used it to speak to the people around you or the, the people who were affected by this. And God spared Jonah, and Jonah is going to go preach to Nineveh. We're going to see that in the future, as many of you already know. And right now, God is using something in your life to get your attention. And if the storm doesn't cause you to repent, the fish is coming. If God chooses to show you mercy in that way. There is nothing that says that God has to show mercy. He's not required by anything to show mercy to anyone. He can show mercy if he chooses to show mercy. And if you're still breathing and you're living in sin, then he has shown mercy to you. He has shown mercy to all of us. My encouragement to you now is to repent before something worse comes, before God brings some other type of judgment. And we know that the ultimate judgment awaits us, which is an eternal separation from God, hell. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, if we don't heed the warnings on this side of eternity, if we don't repent when the storm comes, if we don't repent when the fish comes, then something else is waiting. And I'm not trying to scare anybody because we serve a God who loves us. And he has proven that love by sending his son. But if we want to talk about the way God works, then this is my conclusion. We talked about weird ways to show mercy. How about the death of God on a cross? No one saw that coming. Through the most horrendous act in all of human history has come the greatest gift. Through God's mercy, he has poured out his grace on us. He has allowed us to have a relationship with God. And you were here this morning, and you were hearing about the goodness of God, and you were hearing about his righteousness, you are hearing about how he will pour mercy on whom he will pour mercy. And if you are here this morning hearing this and you don't have a relationship with him, then you, ha- you need to repent before it's too late. You need to turn right now as you're hearing this. And if you belong to him, Jonah, if you remember, was a prophet. He belonged to God. And yet he was running from him. There might be some of you in here this morning who have a relationship with Jesus, and yet you have been running from him. Repent now. Don't wait for the storm. Don't wait for the fish. Repent now. Be wise enough to hear the heedings of a pastor, to hear the warnings of Scripture, and repent. And then there are some of you in here who are like the sailors seeing the judgment of God on this on Jonah, 
and you're seeing it on loved ones in your life, and you just need to cry out for them. And you need to ask God to help them, to save them, to spare them, to show mercy, to show mercy again and again, to get their attention, sure, to judge them, but to relent on his judgment, to show mercy and to give them a chance. I have people in my life right now that I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the joy that I have in that relationship with him. I want them to know the hope that I have in knowing that God is good and knowing that I can trust him. Even when things are falling apart, I can trust him. And you and I need to be crying out for the people in our lives who either don't know him or they're running from him as Jonah was running. So whether it's you that needs to repent or someone in your life, we need to spend some, some time now reflecting on that, praying for those people, repenting ourselves, coming to repentance. And so we've come to the time in our service where we're going to have our invitation. And I'm going to be right down here. And, and the altar is open. If you need to pray, then come pray. If you need to cry out for yourself in repentance, if you need to cry out for your friend, then you come and you pray. If you need me to pray with you, if you want to talk to me, I'll be right here and I'll be willing and ready to do that. Let's pray and then we'll enter our time of invitation. Lord, we love you. God, I just pray that you would speak to us right now. That whatever you, you teach us here in the scripture, whatever you teach us in your sermons, Lord, and in, in, in the sermon, that we would heed the warnings. That it wouldn't take a storm, it wouldn't take a fish, but if that's already come, Lord, help us to cry out right now. Lord, save us and spare us. Lord, any, anyone in this room, Lord, including myself, who is not living for you, Lord, the way that we're supposed to, reveal that to us so that we can repent, so that we can live for you wholeheartedly. God, we just pray that you would move right now in this room. Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know you, that they would know you. If there's someone who's running from you, that they would come back, that they would run back to the Father's arms, Lord, who is ready and waiting. And God, I thank you for showing mercy on so many of us in this room. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to pour out your grace and continue to pour out your mercy even now. Lord, that you would be drawing hearts to yourself even now and that you would use our congregation, our church, Lord, to reach this community. Lord, that you would start revival right here in our hearts and that you would spread it to the people around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.